0: Welcome back to the show. Of course, that theme, the very famous theme of the uh, classic NFL Today show back in the uh, early days of... uh Game, pre-game show is actually the first major one, and that's what we're going to talk about today on our segment, uh, book talk segment, the man who's written a book about it, it's called You Are Looking Live, How the NFL Today Revolutionized Sports Broadcasting, and we're talking with uh, Rich uh, Podolsky today, great sports writer and author from uh, up in New York today, and uh, Rich, good to talk with you, how are you? Hey
1: Doug, thanks for having me on the show. I-
0: I'm glad I, I saw it uh, online, that-, that you had this great book out, and uh, we were able to, to connect uh, a little bit today to talk about it, because I'm one of those uh, millions, of people that uh, kind of got into football in the early 70s. First game I remember watching was, or first Super Bowl I watched was the 1970 uh, Super Bowl IV, so uh, after that uh, it all kind of took off with the the pregame shows, and I know CBS had one before that, uh, but it was kind of a haphazard thing. It wasn't really uh, what it became, but uh, I guess in 1974, 75, uh, that's when it really began, right, with Brent, Phyllis, uh, Jimmy the Greek, and Irv.
1: Right, right, Uh, and uh What you saw, the cover of the book, uh, that was that famous, iconic uh, black-and-white photo of the four of them, Brent Phyllis, uh, the Greek, and Herb Cross. It's the only photo that exists of the four of them, and uh, we put it on the cover of the book. Uh, That was uh, taken in 1980 when Phyllis came back to the show, but really, this whole thing started in 1974. There was a producer named Bill Fitz who tried to go live. Uh, with Jack Whitaker and Lee Leonard as right. the hosts of the show. And it really didn't work. Uh, Whitaker was a, a great writer and, and uh, a, even a really good play-by-play guy on the NFL. But he uh, the show was just much too fast for him in the studio. And he couldn't do highlights at all. And they never did get the highlights going uh, correctly, uh, in 1974 but in 75 a guy named Bob Watsler came in to take over CBS sports and he not only wanted to go live with the show he wanted to break some barriers and he brought in the very first woman ever on a live sports show Phyllis George a former Miss America of all things and he also <laughs> brought in uh, Herb Cross who was the first African American on a live sports show like this and uh that we had, and he added, of course, Brent Musburger from uh, his uh, Chicago station, uh, WBBM. Uh, The three of them were much younger. Uh, They, uh, I think Irv and Brent were both uh, about 34, 35 years old. Tillerson was only 25 years old uh, compared to Whitaker and Leonard, who were middle-aged white guys. Uh, And and there was a huge difference in uh, the type of material, that they put on the 75 show. Everything was live. Prior to that, everything was taped on pregame shows, and there was nothing new, no news, nothing fresh on the pregame shows prior to 75. And then you got these three people, uh, and Brent goes on the air saying, you are looking live at Soldier Field in Chicago or Veterans Stadium in in Philadelphia. And that was a tip to the gamblers, it turned out and what the weather was, yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, things were pretty exciting uh, back then. And then a year later, they had Jimmy the Greek uh, to talk about point spreads, uh, and Pete Rozelle uh, that was dead set against that, but he couldn't do anything about it. And the ratings really took off.
0: I had a chance. Uh, I went to college. Like I told you, I grew up in New York, went to college out in Long Island, Delphi, and I had a chance to do uh, uh, some stringing. I guess that's what they called it back then, or assistant mm-hmm. producing, whatever you call it for. Uh, a little bit with the NFL today, mostly on the Saturday college football today show, but I got a chance to at least to see the studio and, and how they put it together back then. Now, obviously everything's changed technologically with editing video and all that, but back then they had these bulky tape machines. You had a separate uh, video editor and a producer working in a, a, I guess a logger. That's what I kind of did working with each uh, bay to put these highlights together. It was quite complicated back then.
1: Right. There was no digital. It wasn't digital. So you had. Yeah, I mean, you could tell more than anybody that you had to guess where the highlight would begin right. and then guess w- where it would end and then go back and forth until you got, got it exactly right. And, you know, they had to do that, you know, on a Sunday when there were like eight games in the early window. Um, they had to do that with eight different games and then then separate them and uh, write, write up the highlights, send them up to Brent. Uh, and Brent would would be seeing them live for the first time when they aired, and all he had in front of him was a, a few notes from the loggers, and uh, he was just sensational going from one highlight to another. And you could count down in his ear, you know, how many seconds left in each highlight, and uh, what city you're they, they were going to or bringing in, and Brent wouldn't miss a beat. He was unbelievable, you know, and... You know, I can, you can't blame Jack Whitaker for not being able to do
0: that. Really. They had to invent the way to do it. Obviously it wasn't ever done that way before. So they really invented that whole system, which now is much easier with the way technology is, but, uh, they invented it on the fly. And like you said, Brent Musburger, the best, probably the best studio sports guy of all time. I wouldn't say he was the greatest play by play of all time He's okay. But his, his talent was to be able to be the traffic cop.
1: Exactly. Uh, You know, Jim Nance, uh, who wrote the foreword for the book, said that uh, Brent was probably the the greatest studio host of all time. And, you know, you can't really uh, come up with anybody better. Uh, Brent was at CBS for 15 years and then he went to ABC and and ESPN uh, combined for the next 27 years. And the shame of that was that he never went back to the studio right. where he absolutely excelled. And even today at age 82, he's still play by play on Raiders uh, radio.
0: Yeah, I've seen him a few times out in Las Vegas cause he and his, uh, I believe it was his nephew uh, put that whole mm-hmm. V in uh, which was the gambling uh, radio yeah, network,
1: Vegas, uh, Vegas at the
0: South Point. And I've seen him in the studio there in person, uh, just doing the show. So he does, I don't know if he still does it. I know they sold recently to a big company. They may not, he may not do it as much, but yeah, that, that's what he's been doing lately with the, with the NFL, with the Raiders.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, when Brent came on the show in 75, um, he was pr- practically an unknown nationally. You know, he was a big deal in Chicago. Um, Where he was went from the being a columnist for the Chicago American to uh, doing first radio for WBBM, and then a year later he moved in on uh, become the TV director, Um, and uh, that was a good decision he made. Uh, They offered him about double his uh, salary at the Chicago American, and he went to his boss there uh, in 1968, 69, and as Figured if the boss would give him a nice raise, maybe he'd stay because he really loved writing a column. Right, and he was re- really great at it. And his boss looked at him and said, "Are you crazy? Nobody gives up a column, especially in Chicago." And Brent did. He he was went from thirteen thousand to twenty seven thousand a year, and five years later, the Chicago American folded. <laughs> uh, so that was turned out to be a pretty good decision on his part.
0: And just reading your book, again, we're talking uh, to Rich Podolsky. You Are Looking Live is the name of the book about the uh, classic NFL Today show on, on CBS in the 70s and early 80s. But uh, he could be difficult. I, now, I've heard stories a little bit about him. He's a, he's a you know, gregarious type of guy you can just see on the air, but a little difficult to work with apparently, right? Or at least uh, halfway into it, he kind of felt uh, he was the big guy and he wasn't going to be moved out, right? Well,
1: he, he was a very competitive guy, you know. Somebody on a previous uh, interview said Brent had a mean streak. And I'd say I I'd call it a competitive
0: streak. Yeah. I never thought it was mean. No, I think just highly competitive. You're right. Good good way to put it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and if, if uh, somebody came in uh, or somebody mentioned uh, uh, something that was a, a piece of news, like the Greek did once, the, the Greek was going to go on the air with uh, a great piece of news that uh, Notre Dame was going to fire their Coach Dan Devine and replace him with a high school coach from Akron. Well, Brent kind of stole his thunder yeah. right before the <laughs> Greek was going to say it on the air. And uh, that led to uh, uh, Brent and the Greek uh, punching it out at a place called Pear Trees after work that. Someday. Right.
0: I remember that. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah that, that was one of the things. Uh, and producer Michael Pearl uh, uh, mentioned uh, several times that Brent would listen to uh, Summerall and Brookshire rehearse their little bit for the pregame show. And, uh, and their their bit, they usually had the lead game of the day, and they would talk about if somebody important was injured or something like that. And there were times when Brent would throw it to them, and by throwing it to them, he would mention their news.
0: Yeah. And, and, boy, <laughs>
1: they didn't like that at all. And, and there was one time that first season in 75 that uh, Mike Kroll had to make sure that Brent and Must and uh, Brookshire weren't in the same meeting uh, for the for the Super Bowl because Brookshire wanted to take them apart. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had people do that. I've uh, heard you know to, to me and radio. I guess everybody in broadcasting has had somebody do that to you, but yeah, that's that's not pleasant. <laughs> yeah, but but
1: get it getting back to the, I mean, these four personalities were so different from whatever had been on TV before them. You know, it was what I, I refer to as the beginning of uh, uh, sports broadcasting personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now everybody emphasizes the personalities on the pregame show. But, you know, you got Phyllis George, who was only 25 years old, and she just took off like a rocket. Uh, within a year, she was on the cover of People magazine right, uh, because of this show. And, you know, she uh, she was toughened up when her year as Miss America. They sent her to Vietnam. She had to answer a lot of questions with the press about should we be in the war, and then she got back and she had to you know go around uh, as Miss America for a year. And uh, the the uh, women's lib groups followed her around and picketed wherever she went uh, because they they thought Miss America was uh, not a. a, a uh, thing that women should uh, be involved with. Right. And Phyllis had to answer questions about that. And, uh, she got, she got tough really fast. And by the time she met Bob Wessler, the head of CBS Sports, and, uh, he asked her, What do you know about sports? She was, uh, very, uh, mature with her answer. She just flashed, uh, those dimples at him and said, Well, I've dated a few athletes in my time. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I'm a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, and that was good enough for him. That's right. <laughs> he, he figured out a way to, to that. Phyllis didn't have to know X's and O's. They had her do. Uh, they had her interview all the top athletes. She interviewed Roger Staubach, and she interviewed Joe Namath, and she became really famous from doing those interviews. And in, uh, uh, we call uh, the music pieces on the show.
0: Yeah, we did a tribute to her. Obviously, sad that she passed away uh, last year at uh, only uh, 70 years old. But the uh, thing about her, y- you liked her. I mean, you knew she wasn't a big sports uh, expert and once she went on there, but, but she was very likable, obviously, and, uh, and you enjoyed her conversations with, like you said, Roger Strawback, kind of a famous interview she did with him, right, and then uh, with all the athletes. Yeah. And, and, yeah. But, but she was never, it was never cringeworthy. It was always, you, know, you enjoyed her. And I think women, obviously, right. liked seeing her, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was the whole point as far as Bob Wetzler was concerned, uh, who really invented this format uh, and uh, decided to put a woman, in the first African-American, on a live sports show like this. He said, uh, uh, leading up to that time, that TV sports had become a male ghetto. Mm. All men, wall-to-wall men. And he thought there was definitely a place for a woman, not just to bring in women viewers, But he said having a woman on a show would improve the chemistry of the show and better chemistry would lead to more people watching and and better ratings. And he was dead right, you know. And then when they brought the Greek in, wow. Talk about personalities who are bigger in life and off the wall. The Greek was already famous. He was probably the most well-known of the four of them. Right. Uh, And uh, he came in, he he already had a, a... syndicated column in over 300 newspapers and a syndicated radio show. And uh, Pete Roselle was dead set against any talk of gambling. In fact, he went before Congress and uh, told Congress that only 2% of the viewers actually bet on the games. And when uh, CBS yeah. publicist Bino Cook heard that, his response was, if that's true, then they all live on my yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, the thing about it. But, but uh, Jimmy the Greek, uh, I had heard of him before watching football. He'd show up on sometimes talk shows or whatever, sometimes watch my line, whatever, and they'd always ask him the odds and all that kind of thing. So, he, he yeah, I, I even heard of him as a kid. So he was the, yeah, the he best be- known. Yeah,
1: He became famous way back in 1948 when he made a big bet on Harry Truman to right. uh, beat Th- Thomas Dewey, uh, and he made this bet two weeks before the uh, 48 election for president. And uh, he got 20 to one odds. That's how much of a favorite Dewey was. And the reason uh, he he bet on Truman was he was shaving one morning and his sister said, why are you growing a mustache? Don't you know women hate mustaches? It reminds them of <laughs> Hitler. And he said, it reminds them of Hitler. Next thing he looks at the front page of the paper and there's Dewey with a big mustache. And he, he decides to go out and canvas 500 women at the A&P and he finds out 400 of them don't like mustaches. And, he, said, <laughs> and he, he, he computed the odds. He said, Truman's even money, and I'm getting 20 to 1. Yeah. So uh, two nights later, uh, Walter Winchell, the most, uh, uh, probably the most powerful media person in the country, went on his radio show and announced that uh, Jimmy the Greek Snyder from Steubenville, Ohio, was an even bigger winner than Harry Truman.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Uh, I know also Super Bowl three had a. Uh, set the odds for that, right? Which was 17, 18 points, right? Jets and Colts. Seven, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And he be, probably became more famous for getting that wrong than if he got it right.
0: Yeah, yeah. We won't <laughs> so, talk too much about Jimmy, but you know, obviously he had a sad ending, and then you talk about it in the book. We have a limited time. But uh, you, you mentioned before the ratings. D- do you know what the ratings were for that show? Was it like 15, 20 million a week, or what the numbers were? I know that, they were huge.
1: That, that, that's about right. Yeah. Uh, it, it was very difficult to get uh, ratings out of CBS because they were uh, almost 40 years ago and they had locked in their vault. uh, I was doing the research during the pandemic. They didn't have anyone in the building to go into their vault to get them. But uh, everything I found research wise was they were getting eights and nines uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, rating points at the time, which transfers to somewhere between 15 and 16 million at least.
0: Yeah. That just for regular season games and then yeah, the late games and Thanksgiving were even more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great rating today for primetime.
0: time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The regular NFL games and the pregame shows today will be number one shows. Right. Yeah. By a, f- by a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and we're, we're leaving out our cross. Uh, and I just wanted to say our cross was the hardest working guy i had ever been associated with. By the way, I didn't mention that in 1977, I became a writer for the NFL today. Right. And I stayed with CBS for five years, which is why I got to know these people so well.
0: Yeah. Irv Cross, always a classy guy, never really got ruffled and uh, did those great kind of insight pieces uh, from a former player and uh, really underrated, I think. Kind of sad that people don't remember him as much as they do. Obviously, he passed away earlier this year, but uh, he really did a great job.
1: Yeah, he and he and Brent are working together—that that was really the definition of the term studio chemistry, you know. And like Phyllis, with women broadcasters after her, Irv really opened the door for black broadcasters after him. And uh, that—that's a real good uh, le- part of the legacy of this show.
0: Yeah, the sad thing is, with all these pregame shows, all the cable and all that stuff, it's never come close to that, and it, I don't think it ever will. There's just too many people talking at you, yelling at you now.
1: Yeah, and and all these shows are an hour long, and they just they try to shove everything into them—gambling uh, information, which is really ironic—and uh, all the uh, stuff about. Um, um, uh, the, what the play, each individual player is going to do uh, in the game and what wide receiver to take for the day. It's getting to the point where some fans don't even care who wins. It's just how many points that their players right. get.
0: Yeah, I, I, I didn't uh, mention one, that. The NFL Today Show was a half an hour. Sometimes they do a special, I guess, maybe around Thanksgiving. It might be long. I'm not even sure, but it was always a half hour, and that was all you needed. Yeah. They fit it all in the half hour. Yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah. What, 22 minutes of airtime. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want, I wanted to, uh, mention Tony Kornheiser's, uh, quote here. Uh, Tony Kornheiser, of course, the great host of, uh, ESPN's pardon the interruption. Uh, he said that NFL today show back in 1975 was simply the greatest pregame show of all time. And everybody for the last 40 years has tried to copy it.
0: Yeah. No question about and, it. And yeah.
1: th- That's exactly what, what this show did really. It, it, uh, there would be no ESPN game day if it wasn't for the NFL today. I mean, they and even NFL 77 over at NBC, when they first went to this format, they they totally tried to copy what we did, including uh, bringing on their own Jimmy the Greek, who was Pete Axtell right. at that time. Uh, Doug, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, anything else before we go? I was going to
0: mention, you, you mentioned briefly the NBC. Yeah, they, they never really got it. I mean, it was okay. It wasn't terrible. It was all right. But they never got uh, close to the level of, uh, of the CBS show back then. You're right about that.
1: Uh, when they added Brian Gumble as the host, uh, got, better. Later yeah. it, it got better. Yeah, it got better. Yeah,
0: for sure. I just want to give the title again. You are looking live how the NFL today revolutionized sports broadcasting, and Rich Podolsky is uh, the author and uh, been our guest today. And we could talk for hours on this, but uh, Rich has a life, and uh, we got to let him go. But uh, Rich, you want to give out a website? People can get this this book. I guess it's everywhere, right? Uh, the,
1: the book is everywhere. Amazon is stocked up. So is Barnes and Noble. And um, uh, if you want to look for uh, anything from me, I'm uh, at Rich Podolsky on Twitter. And I just wanted to mention that uh, there are other chapters in the book later on that talk about uh, how the how and why the the Greek got fired for his controversial comments. And then there was uh, chapter 14, the firing of Brent Musburger, when it, uh, it shocked the world on. April Fool's Day of 1990, CBS Let Him
0: Go. Yeah, I remember that day. And, of course, the Jimmy the Greek uh, sad, but we'll, we'll let, let the people read about that. But uh, just a, a tremendous book and a great job on the research, Rich. And uh, thank you for joining us. Hopefully we can talk to you down the road, and uh, we we'll hope you feel better soon, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Sarasota's m- one of my favorite places to go in Florida.
0: Oh, great. Look us up next time you come down. <laughs> It'll be great. You, meet you
1: Thank you, Rich. Take care. Take care now.